This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. In the 90s, there was one studio that seemed to have an unassuming dominance on the Saturday morning cartoon space, and that's Warner Brothers. And honestly, it's not all that shocking. I mean, come on, it's Warner Brothers, the studio responsible for the Looney Tunes. However, I'm talking about the run of shows like Tiny Toons, Pinky and the Brain, Freakazoid, and my personal favorite from this lineup, The Animaniacs. These cartoons were fun, zany, and oftentimes a lot smarter than we remember. But just as iconic as the animation and the comedy were the iconic songs. From Wacko singing the US Capitals to Yakko singing the countries of the world to Dot singing about how just darn cute she was, these shows were responsible for providing some pretty memorable music moments. These shows were animation gold from the 1990s and were going to take an animating and totally insane walk down memory lane. For any new listeners, this is part three in a month-long series on the Saturday Morning Cartoon, so check out episode one on the history of the Saturday Morning Cartoon and episode two on the history of superhero Saturday Morning Cartoons, including X-Men the Animated Series, after you listen to this episode. After. Only after. So if all that sounds good to you, let's get started. So there are a lot of angles that we could approach this this kind of caravan of fantastic animation from. Um, you know, we could talk about the show separately, but I think it's better to kind of just explain the the story around how a lot of these shows came to be because a lot of them were being produced and were created by the same people. Um, it was kind of this like very much group effort that was happening at Warner Brothers around this time. So one thing to to note, one thing to be aware of is that by the time these shows were beginning to pick up in production or were being pitched or the ideas were beginning to, to brew for them, the Saturday morning cartoon as an institution of television was beginning to wane. I touch on it a little bit in episode one, um, kind of as I go chronologically in the, the history of the Saturday morning cartoon, but essentially the late 80s, early 90s was kind of the the beginning of the end 
for the Saturday morning cartoon. There were and there were a host of factors that had to do with that. So you had a lot more government oversight. So there were a lot more parent groups that were lobbying to, you know, government officials about Saturday morning cartoons and the effect of advertising around this time. I talk about it in every single episode where a, a lot of these shows were just kind of vehicles for consumption, selling toys, selling cereal, whatever. It was just, a, it was a one big advertising fest, um, which, you know, television still is, but still, um, so that was happening. There's also kind of this like internal industry thing that's happening where a lot of the studios that were making a lot of these Saturday morning cartoons were just beginning to, you know, kind of go out of business or just were not at churning out as much stuff. Um, so that's like Filmation, Hanna-Barbera, which, you know, Hanna-Barbera was kind of one of the biggest producers of a lot of Saturday morning cartoons and a lot of Saturday morning cartoon content. So there was just this kind of lingering, you know, idea that this thing that we have been enjoying at this point for, you know, 30 years now was beginning to, to die down a little bit. So keep that in mind as we go into talking about this rather boisterous and happy, uh, history of Warner Brothers animation in the nineties. So one thing to note where a lot of this starts for Warner Brothers, at least is in the late 80s when a lot of Warner Brothers executives were kind of wanting to bolster the image of Warner Brothers animation back up. Like they were trying to give it new life. They were trying to make it big again, because again, this was the studio that gave us the Looney Tunes, you know, like this is not a studio that doesn't know their way around animation. But at this point, they weren't doing a ton of things. They weren't making like, you know, like really good animation. I think they were just kind of playing the game and biding their time. But the then president of Warner Brothers Animation at the time wanted, like that is where this idea came from. So also they thought a good way to do that essentially was to court, you know, some big name directors. And one of the directors was Steven Spielberg. As far as I know, he was kind of the director that they were courting. Um, to come in and do an animated film for Warner Brothers. And you may be thinking, if you don't really know a ton about Steven Spielberg, you may feel like that's kind of a random choice. And it's not. Steven Spielberg is one of the biggest champions for animation. And he has been for a very, very long time. I'm thinking about a clip that was on, um, I think I saw it on like Twitter or something like that. And it had to be from the late seventies, early eighties, where Spielberg is talking about how, you know, like every good animator should study animation pretty much, or every good director should study animation, I should say. And basically the reasoning for that is that animation has so much more intent and so much more like, you know, control over what is in the frame than live action filmmaking tends to afford. Now, obviously there are many live action filmmakers who are very intentional with everything that is seen in the frame of any given, you know, scene or shot or whatever, but animators, whatever you want to see, whatever is going to relay the story, whatever is going to relay the joke, you have to put in the frame. It has to be drawn. There is a lot more intention there. So every good director should be a good animator because you are directing and composing shots with intent. That's the whole kind of crux of what he was saying. So them approaching Spielberg kind of just made 
the most sense. So they kind of are trying to get him to come over and they're courting him. They're just like, hey, we're thinking about doing, you know, something animated, you know, thoughts, pretty, pretty much. And so he comes in and they explain this kind of idea that's been brewing about, you know, revitalizing the, the Looney Tunes in some way. And one big kind of trend in animation at around this time in the late 80s was this kind of infantilization of, you know, pretty big franchises so what that means essentially is just like muppet babies like the flintstones kids a pup named scooby-doo which is actually a really good show um a lot of these shows that were basically just taking these franchises that we knew and making baby versions of them for animation and you know people love it so that's the direction that they wanted to go so they were like okay we're going to do that and so around that time is when they begin to bring in a, you know, producer showrunner by the name of Tom Ruger. And he worked on a pup named Scooby-Doo. So there was kind of a natural like synergy of like, you know, kind of how a show like this would go, come in, make this show. So Ruger collaborates with Spielberg. And basically there's a really good article from the ringer that explains the, the history of um, the Animaniacs and a lot of shows adjacent to it. And Ruger basically says that he was told that his job and the goal above everything else was to please Steven Spielberg. So even if this idea that they were working on was bad and Steven Spielberg liked it, you've done the you've done the work. Like we just want to make sure that he's happy because this is obviously a very big get. Um, but Ruger really just kind of took it to the next level. So they this obviously this concept began as a film initially, like they brought in Spielberg and they were courting him because they wanted him to make a film. But when they brought in Ruger, they kind of began to, you know, muddle over this idea a lot more and it became shorts versus a full length, you know, picture. So the idea originally of having just baby Looney Tunes, which funnily enough became a thing later on um, in the early 2000s, <laughs> it was a show that I remember watching and really enjoying. Um, they basically kind of nixed the idea of doing the Looney Tunes directly and opted to do kind of this like offshoot of the Looney Tunes. So you have characters that look like Bugs and Daffy, but they're not really Bugs and Daffy. And Bugs does appear as a teacher in, in Tiny Toons. So there's that connection. But basically that was because of Spielberg, he didn't want to kind of just and he basically said like he didn't want to work on characters that have been created by animation giants like J Chuck Jones and Frizz Freeling. Um, and I think it was probably because like he had in the back of his mind, like if the show, you know, or this idea doesn't work out, I don't want to have the, the guilt of besmirching the legacy of these characters. So they opted to create new characters. And so then the show gets turned into shorts and shorts for animation um, weirdly enough at this time, it wasn't something that television was doing. Like television was essentially, um, doing kind of two 11 minute segments at a time, which was something that was increasingly popular, but going back to the kind of the roots of animation and doing shorts again was something that was very intriguing. And apparently Spielberg was kind of all for it. So Tiny Toons, is born. This is this this idea that I'm talking about becomes Tiny Toons Adventures and it is a massive hit. 
people love Tiny Toons. And so it accrues some Emmys. It accrues like a primetime Emmy nomination, which is a big deal. Um, and so they're kind of just like, okay, what's next? Like <laughs> this is happening in the early 90s, so around like 92, 93-ish. And so basically Spielberg and uh, Gene McCurdy, who is a, another Warner Brothers uh, executive, come in and they're just like, hey, you know, what are we doing next time? Like, what's what's next up? And so what was next up was the Animaniacs. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So what was next up was the Animaniacs. And the whole, the one thing that Spielberg wanted, like he wanted this next thing to kind of have a marquee name. That was what he said. He was like, we want something that people recognize uh, to kind of guide this show. And so Tom Ruger is kind of like, okay, how do I do that? Like, what, like, what, what is that going to be? And so he said that he was walking around on the the Warner Brother lot and he said he had a quote cartoon epiphany and he's like the marquee name is going to be Warner Brothers so that is where the concepts of, of the show began he was like we're going to do a show about the Warner Brothers but not the human Warner Brothers we're going to have these Warner siblings that are wreaking havoc on the WB lot and they live in a, a water tower because they were created in the 30s and they were too crazy and they were locked away in this water tower and they're now being like let loose and that is that is going to be our marquee name and the warner brothers in this case are yakko wacko and dot so you have yakko and wacko who are the warner brothers you may be wondering where does the name dot come from so when you often see warner brothers referred to especially written you don't see warner brothers brothers being written out you tend to see it abbreviated so what is the abbreviation of brothers it's bros with a dot so you have the warner brothers and dot that is where their names come from and i thought that was the coolest thing in the world anyways so uh, you have the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister, um, who are a, a trio of things. I don't really know what to call them. They're like dogs. They're like like cats, kind of. Um, and they even have a song basically like singing about like, what are we? We don't know. Um, and it's it's a really funny thing because no one really knows what they are. Um, but these characters were actually birthed from a student film that Tom Ricker did when he was at Dartmouth. 
And it was a film called The Premiere of Platypus Duck. So originally, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot were platypuses. And so then they changed the 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 look of them to you know fit this this new concept and this new idea and actually the siblings were partially inspired by ruger's own children which is actually like really cool and i think a, a through line of a lot of these shows is that they were very kind of homegrown and personal like everything that was you know put into the intention of these characters felt really personal and felt really just kind of you know natural i guess like it was it was a lot of a lot of a care and attention were put into these characters so the animaniacs kind of has this the shell of an idea you've got the idea you've got the characters so the general mood of the animaniacs is sketch comedy essentially and sketch comedy for animation which is very very different from sketch comedy and live action a la you know saturday night live and so basically all the writers that were writing on Animaniacs were sketch comedy writers. They weren't animation writers. So there was kind of a learning curve of learning to write for animation and having characters who you're not physically directing, but you're writing in the script. Hey, the cameras turned here. Wacko was doing this. Um, that definitely kind of makes a difference with how you are writing these characters. And so because it took on a sketch comedy feel, it was kind of this mixture of like a sketch comedy show and a variety show. Like they didn't treat it like one, you know, like two 11 minute segments stretched over 30 minutes. They really treated it like little sketches that were kind of built one after another. And one major inspiration for that was Rocky and Bullwinkle, which kind of had this cast of characters that were offshoots of the main characters. And then you kind of had these recurring segments. So Animaniacs version of that was like the whole host of characters beyond Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, like Pinky and the Brain, who would go on to have their own um, show. You had Slappy Squirrel, you had all of these different like characters that you would often see in their own little sketches every once in a while. And then also you had recurring sketches uh, like Good Idea, Bad Idea which were incredibly funny and then also the show then brings in this like musical element and you have all these really really good music that is like being infused in this show you have all of that you then got this amazing cast you've got tress mcneil as dot you've got jess harnell as wacko you have rob paulson as yakko like you have these people who have so much like talent like there was just so much talent that was brewing at this time at Warner Brothers whether it was the voicing whether it was the animation whether it was the writing the direct like the show running like everyone is kind of operating on all cylinders go and it's fun and the beauty of it was that Warner Brothers kind of just let them loose they were kind of just like yeah go for it because again because these shows were being executive produced by Steven Spielberg and he was a very active presence, um, they kind of were just like, as long as Steven is happy, do whatever you want to do. And luckily, from what I've read, Steven was pretty agreeable to a lot of things and was was open to a lot of ideas and had a lot a lot of ideas himself. In the Ringer article, Tom Ruger mentions um, that Steven Spielberg had like, a, a ton of would come with a ton of ideas and like 20% of them they could use and infuse in the show in some way and then the other 80% were just uh insane 
he said they were like they were too crazy to be able to do so you then you because the show is kind of able to just exist and for them to just create the creators on the show definitely treated that way like their their goal was obviously to make Steven Spielberg happy but also to make themselves laugh and whenever there's a show whenever I'm reading or researching about a show and someone mentions like our one goal was to make each other laugh that's when I know that this show is probably just just so good because that means that you don't have to think about all these different confines that are going to constrict a good joke a child is going to get a good joke no matter what and so the show definitely was able to kind of exist in this gray area between being a staunchly kid show and a staunchly adult show and was kind of this thing that was both like kids could watch it and there were definitely many you know segments that they would obviously enjoy but then you have certain aspects of the show that a kid may not get or they may not laugh at immediately and it's really for like the adult that may be walking by the television and they're like oh my gosh like that was kind of a funny joke and so when I was thinking about the Animaniacs and thinking about kind of the impact that it had on me personally it is one of these shows that really built up my pop culture, you know, acumen, like my my knowledge base of pop culture was bolstered by shows like the Animaniacs and the Simpsons because they were so reference heavy. Like there were so many things that they were referencing that because of the way that my brain is wired, I'm like, I want to understand the joke fully. Like I want to understand completely what they're talking about. And so it prompted me to want to go and research all these different things and you kind of just naturally build up this like this it's almost like learning a language like you're building up this language of references that they were using and I think that's really that's really risky for a kind of a, a children's show to infuse these references that they may not immediately get but you still have parts of these segments that they're like yeah you know whatever like I still I still enjoy the show so you know if I don't get the full joke, it's okay because I'm I'm laughing, so it's fine. But there's there's so much more that the show it has to offer, and there's so many things that you I could probably spend a whole month talking just about the Animaniacs because I truly do think that it is one of those shows that is one of the biggest factors or one of the biggest you know influences on contemporary comedy. Like it is so. It's meta, it's sarcastic, it's referential. It is all these things that are very indicative of what comedy, especially on networks, um, you know, premium cable channels, whatever it is, like the Animaniacs and shows like it began it there. Like that is where, <laughs> that's where it started. And it started in this kind of like homegrown era of Warner Brothers animation that was incredibly collaborative and incredibly creative and just all of these different people coming together and making this kind of like once in a lifetime show and doing it without, you know, too much studio oversight, which is incredibly, incredibly rare. And so, as I mentioned, you know, as we, you know, begin to, to wrap things up um, during this time, the Animaniacs was in production from 1993 to 1998. Literally, it ended a week after I was born um, in November of 1998. And it was 
this this massive hit like kids loved it adults loved it everyone loved it um so also happening around that time is pinky and the brain which was this offshoot these these offshoot characters and apparently pinky and the brain were a favorite of steven spielberg that was those were his favorite characters in this kind of grand warner B, warner brothers universe um cartooniverse if you will and they were based off of two uh animators who worked with tom ruger at warner brothers and they were like i think they like had the same office and one was very much looked like pinky and one very much looked like brain and they kind of had a similar dynamic where one was a little bit more quiet and the other one was kind of a little bit more boisterous and, and loud and i think it was bruce tim who was working on batman the animated series who taught would do like caricatures of people in in the office and in the studio and he did a caricature of these two animators and so then tom ruger kind of saw that caricature and was just like oh like there's a there's a character here and you know morphed it into a more cartoony look and then you have pinky and the brain and pinky and the brain is weirdly enough it feels like one of their first attempts at like a genre forward show because pinky and the brain was essentially kind of a sketch premise in that the one the joke every single time is going to be pinky or brain wants to take over the world and how is pinky going to somehow foil that plan or how is how's that plan going to go wrong in some way that it's like genre forward in that it's kind of like it's action-packed for as much as two mice two lab rats essentially plotting to take over the world can be um it kind of had more of a narrative focus versus like a, a joke focus um like Animaniacs did like Animaniacs didn't have a ton of like overarching narratives it was really kind of contained into each little sketch but Pinky and the Brain kind of wasn't that and then you get a show like Freakazoid which is incredibly genre for in it in it being a superhero show um which is a little bit you know longer longer form not really a sketch but more of like you know going back to the two 11 minute segments stretched over 30 minutes thing so you have all these shows that are happening one right after another and you can just tell that the people making it are having a really fun time you know like they're just having a good time making it you can tell that the studio is happy with it. You can tell that the people watching it are happy with it. Like, it's just this, it's this happy time that's happening at, at Warner Brothers. And it's crazy that it came at what was essentially the last years of the Saturday morning cartoon. Like, the Saturday morning cartoon kind of went out with a bang with this lineup of shows that were not only, you know, like, brilliantly animated and they looked great and they were funny visually speaking but also the writing was just so razor sharp and smart and i go back and watch like clips from the animaniacs and laugh as hard as i would if i was like five years old watching it like the show just has this natural progression that as you get older it doesn't ever really get old you know and that is rare for shows from from this era and that is incredibly incredibly rare but you could just tell that something special was happening at Warner Brothers around this time. And 
it was just really cool thing to see and it's a cool thing to to study and you can tell the people that were a part of it still to this day love it and love talking about it and love sharing stories um i know like rob paulson and tom ruger like they and uh a writer by the name of paul rugg they you know do a lot of like the con circuit and talk about the show and talk about different stories and and everything about and concepts that came to be and it's just this really like special thing and i think they hold it in that regard as being truly truly special so this is a little bit as short as our episodes here tend to be but i hope you enjoyed today's episode afternooners if you don't know the afternooners is my name for all of us so if you've made it to the end of this episode congratulations you're an afternooner now if you like this episode don't forget to rate and review this podcast if you had a good time it helps out the pod you get to tell me how you're feeling about the pod and i get that sweet hit of praise and validation that is my life force and keeps me going if you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at the afternoon special on TikTok or Instagram or over on Twitter at hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-V-O-B-B-I. And if you're thinking, Bobby, I need to go and binge pretty much all of the original Animaniacs, so I'm not going to remember all of that. Bestie, I get it, and I am right behind you. So I put all that information in the description down below just for you. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this week's chat and that you will join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends. Hi, just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. I'm Carlos King, one of the most sought-after executive producers in reality television. I am thrilled to announce Reality with the King, where we'll discuss all things reality TV. I have interviewed everyone from Nene Leakes, Teresa Judice and Kenya Moore. Each episode, we will rehash shocking betrayals, honey. Yes! Hilarious shade. And all the drama. Reality with the King podcast is available wherever you get your podcast.